How many of you grew up saying memorized prayers? No one? You're going to leave me up here alone? Okay. Well, here's the prayers, prayer my sisters and I said at dinner time, and usually we said this at a very high rate of speed, especially when we were hungry. Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts, which we're about to receive from thy body through Christ our Lord. Amen. And then we ate. Or maybe you prayed this one, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. No, no one? Beth's family prayed, and actually a very meaningful prayer that we used with our daughters when they were growing up. God, you're great, and God, you're good. And we thank you for this food. By your hand must all be fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. In Jesus' name, amen. Or perhaps you prayed this bedtime prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I'm not sure how that goes over with young kids, but well, here's a morning prayer many of us can relate to. Dear Lord, so far I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, lost my temper, been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. But in a few minutes, I'm going to get out of bed. (laughs) And from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help. Well, speaking of prayer, I'm going to invite you to stand and let's pray back to the Lord words of scripture. There was a time the disciples asked Jesus a question. They're like, Jesus, teach us how to pray. It's the only time I'm aware of that the disciples asked to be taught something. And so Jesus said, okay, when you pray, pray this way. And so I'll put it up on the screen. This is a more traditional version, but let's pray this together. Not just recite it rotely. It's powerful. Let's pray this prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You can be seated. George Barna reports that 69% of Christians, that's like, what, 7 out of 10? pray weekly. But this is pretty fascinating, maybe sad, maybe we could use different words, but only 2% of Christians are extremely satisfied with their overall prayer lives. Another study was released just last month, and they found, this study found two reasons people give for not praying more, perhaps These will resonate with you. Number one, too busy. Can't find the time. But look at number two. I'm unsure what to say when I pray. Well, we're continuing in our study of the book of Ephesians. We're going through this book verse by verse. The title of our message tonight is A Pattern for Prayer. And we're going to be in the latter half of Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. And here Paul is going to show us how to pray by demonstrating how he 
praise. I'm going to invite you to stand again and let's read this prayer together as we remind ourselves that God's word is powerful and it's active and it's inspired, it's inerrant, it's authoritative. So you made an effort to come tonight, which wasn't easy, right? Well, now that you're here, let's, let's dig in. Let's see what God has for us and let's give our attention to his word. Let's read together. Let's worship as we do. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I invite you to uh, go ahead and have a seat. I mean, Paul knew how to pray, didn't he? And when we could summarize the passage this way, God wants us to pray. Why? So we'll grow to know him better. Now, similar to the opening of chapter one, this prayer that we just read is one long, complex sentence in Greek. It doesn't have an ending until you get to the end of the chapter. It's filled with clauses and phrases and adjectives seemingly piled on top of each other. Last week, we learned how God the Father planned our adoption. God the Son paid for it. He ransomed us. And God the Holy Spirit protects us us, protects it. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And now Paul prays. What does he pray? What's at the heart of his prayer? That believers will grow to know God better. He celebrates our position in Christ by putting the truth out. That's what we learned last week, verses 3 through 14. If you weren't here, you could read that for yourself. Now, in this section, the latter half of chapter 1, if last week he put the truth out, today he's praying the truth in. See, God has already blessed us, and now we need to appropriate those blessings. How do we do that? We do it through prayer. Uh, Join me in verse 15, for this reason. So that phrase, for this reason, Paul's thinking about what he just taught in the 14 verses before. Paul is so filled with affection for these believers that he praises them. Would you observe this? He praises them for two things. I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. 
strikes him. He's in prison as he writes this letter to a church in Ephesus that he was in for three years. He served them, he discipled, he taught. And as he thinks about them, he's like, man, their faith, this is what I think about. And I also think about their love for all the saints. So he celebrates their profession. Faith means conviction, persuasion. He celebrates their practice. So they're in a good place vertically with God and they're growing horizontally in their relationships with others. Let me just pause there. What about you tonight? It's okay if you're not on one of those. If you're like, nah, I'm not doing so good there. Uh, Not so good horizontally either. Well, that's okay because we're gonna see and hear some things tonight where we're gonna hopefully take our next step that God would have for us. Would you notice they practice love for (laughs) all the saints. Can you say you love all the saints? (laughs) There's probably somebody you're like, that's a challenge. It might be somebody in this room, one of the few people in this room. (laughs) Well, Paul is able to say about the Ephesians, they loved all the saints. This is a good reminder. The Christian life has two dimensions, right? Faith toward God and love toward people. Faith and love are always meant to go together. Paul wrote something similar in Colossians chapter 1, verse 4, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all God's people. This also marked believers in 2 Thessalonians 1.3. I put this one on the screen. This is fascinating because Paul is seeing not only he recognizes their faith and their love, but he's seeing them grow. Your faith is growing. How's it growing? More and more. And the love all of you have for one another is increasing. 1 John 4.21 says, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So that person you've already identified, that you're like, I don't really love that person. I don't like that person. Well, as we grow, we can learn to do that. So my beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, here's what I think is one of the pastors here. You are fervent in your faith and you're fervent in your fellowship. When I meet people in the community, and I identify myself as part of Edgewood, invariably people will say, oh, Edgewood, I know some people there, and they smile. They might recognize what God's doing and celebrate recovery or through Awana or through our student ministry, but it's a positive thing. I often hear people give testimony of your faith in Christ and your love for one another. I wouldn't want to pastor any other church. (laughs) Just this week, um, I didn't tell Jerry I was going to do this. Jerry's on our snow removal team. By the way, let's just give him props, should we, tonight? Thank you, Jerry. I don't know how many hours you got in, uh, but you were on the skid steer even today when we were coming in. Thank you, Jerry. And there's a whole team of people under the direction of Scott Shattuck. Well, this week they heard that um, uh, 
pregnancy resources, their contractor was sick or their equipment was broke, and so they had snow everywhere, and they had clients coming in. Jerry shows up with the Edgewood plow and plows their lot. And then a couple days ago when it snowed again, or yesterday, when was that? It snowed all week, right? I got a text from Jerry and Scott Shattuck. Hey, does Pregnancy Resources need help again today? Nobody asked them to do that. That's faith and love for people around us. So team, let's keep growing in our faith and let's make sure our love is increasing more and more in 2024. Are you with me? Now we're going to need God's help to do that, but we can all take our next step. It is so encouraging to hear how God saves his people who saves people by his grace for his glory. Check out this brief clip. This is from our recent 4G video podcast. We do a podcast here every, we actually have three of them, but on Wednesdays we do a podcast. And on this one, I want to just play two minutes. It's 30 minutes long, and I hope you go find it and watch the whole thing. But, but watch and worship as Dylan tells the story of how God drew him to himself. Well, hello and welcome to the Edgewood 4G podcast of uh, Edgewood Baptist Church in Rock Island, Illinois. My name is Kyle Parks. I'm the discipleship pastor here and excited today to interview one of my buddies, Dylan Fugate. Dylan, tell us a little about yourself. Uh, My name is Dylan Fugate. Uh, I've lived in the Quad City area my whole life. Um, I am a husband, my wife, Sarah. Uh, We have two boys, Oliver and Jackson. Um, Been coming to Edgewood for about five years, uh, shortly before the pandemic started. I was ready to give up. My Jeep was stolen. So when my Jeep was stolen, you know, obviously you're freaking out, you don't know what to do. Um, You know, it it wasn't uh, something I was expecting, but I did eventually get it back. couple days later when I got it back obviously the first thing you do is kind of look through it see what's happened see Um, what's missing right right so when I got it back I kind of went through it and in the back there was a book Um, it was an anchor for your soul that was uh, I don't know how or why it was there but um, I found it and I didn't think anything of it at first but uh, a couple days later I started reading it so Um, that's this book here yes Think for your soul, Ray Pritchard. So it wasn't yours. No. <laughs> so your dream was stolen. Correct. And then when you got it back, this book was in here. Yes. And from the person who had stolen your vehicle. Yes. <laughs> in, in this book, <laughs> on page 13, I believe, 14, yeah. is a sinner's prayer. Okay. Um, and I read that. I was sincere. Okay. Um, and I didn't, didn't know what that meant. Um, I finished reading that book that night. Um, at that moment, it wasn't a lightning bolt that came down from the heavens and, and said, you know, angel singing, all this. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't realize what I had done, but I was sincere. Yeah. Uh, I was ready to just give up. Yeah, because you're at the end of your rope and you're willing to pray or do anything. To... Right. Isn't that amazing? 
I love what God did there. That's worth watching that whole thing. There's another part to the story. So Dylan gets his Jeep back and he looks in there, finds Anchor for the Soul, reads it, reads the whole book in one sitting, prays the prayer, gets saved. Okay, fast forward. Dylan was going through some really hard times and ended up in rehab here in the Quad Cities. He met somebody at rehab. Guess what? It was the guy that stole his Jeep. Dylan forgave him, and they became friends. How do you explain that apart from the gospel? This book has been used. There's over a million copies in print. We give these away for free. There's more books out in the lobby. Grab one. If you're into stealing cars, leave it in the car. After you give it back, we'll see what God does with that. So when we hear a profession of faith, like we just did, when we see love practice, practice, we, we can't help but be thankful. We can't help but be prayerful. Well, that's what happened to the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 16. He says, okay, I see this. I see your faith. I see your love. I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. That word cease means to pause or end. So Paul is saying, I can't stop thanking God for you and I can't stop praying for you. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without what? Ceasing. I've always been challenged by Samuel's intentional intercession in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. Check out what he says. Well, this is powerful because prayerlessness can be sinfulness. Here's what he says. As far as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And he's talking about King Saul who had a lot of issues. Many years ago in the town of Itasca, Texas, a school fire took the lives of 263 children. That's horrifying. That happened before World War II. Well, after the war, that community began to expand, a lot of families, so they ended up building a new school, and they made sure to put in the finest sprinkler system in the world. Civic pride ran high. Tours were given of the most advanced sprinkler system money could buy. Fast forward. Seven years later, they had to add another wing to the school, and the construction workers discovered that the state of the art sprinkler system had never been connected. Unfortunately, that's a parable of what's happened in too many of our lives. We have all this power, this source, and we're not tapping into it. There's like this untold power available for every believer. And yet too few of us are connected to the power source, leaving us impotent, leaving us to just walk in the flesh and just live lives like we want and we end up being ineffective friends. God wants us to pray. Why? So that we'll grow to know him better.
Now, before we look more closely at this pattern of prayer, let's make some observations. First observation, the Ephesians lived in a culture hostile to Christianity. Read Acts chapter 19 to get a better sense of how hostile it was. Would you note, Paul doesn't pray for their protection. Secondly, Paul does not request material items for them. He doesn't say, would you bless them financially? He doesn't say, would you bless them with good health? He doesn't say, God, give them a good day. Number three, Paul does not ask God to change their circumstances. Fourth observation, letting people know you were praying for them is a very healthy practice. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he's like, guys, I've been praying for you, praying for you all the time. If you pray for somebody, tell them you're praying for them. And final observation, Paul does not ask for God to give them what they do not have, but rather he prays that God will reveal to them what they already have. And so what Paul prays for is so much deeper than how I normally pray. I mean, my prayers are paltry compared to his. I don't know about yours. And to help us understand this passage, I'm going to borrow Alan Carr's outline. Paul makes three main requests. Notice number one, that we might understand the mysteries of God. Paul says in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That word wisdom speaks of insight and skill. Revelation refers to uncovering something in order to understand it. And so Paul wants believers to understand their position and their possessions in Christ. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 2.10. These things... God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So the main request in this prayer is found at the end of verse 17, in the knowledge of him. I like how the 1984 edition of the NIV captures it, that you may know him better. That's what he's praying, that you may know him better. The New Living Translation renders it like this, so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. That verb know is more intimate than intellectual. It means to know personally. It means to know deeply. It means to know intimately and thoroughly. Friends, because we have received countless spiritual blessings Paul's prayer is that God would grant us a deeper experiential knowledge of him. Not just here, it's got to be here, but it's got to go down to our hearts. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who preached 232 sermons on the book of Ephesians. (laughs) We're like doing 12 232 sermons. So when he says something, I read his commentary. He was right when he said these words, our supreme need is to know God. So you're like, well, what do I need in 2024? Most of us can list a number, a whole bunch of things. No, here's our supreme need, to know God. 
and to know him better today than we did yesterday, to know him better tomorrow than we do today. And so we should pray this prayer for ourselves and for others. Lord, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so we know you better. Uh, Jeremiah 9.23, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. We see that in our culture all the time. People boasting about how smart they are. Let not the mighty man boast in his might, how strong they are. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But he's like, if you're going to boast, boast in this, that he understands and what? Knows me. He understands and knows me. Hosea 6.3 gives this exhortation. You might want to write this verse down. It's easy to remember. It's short. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. Mm. John 17.3, Jesus is praying. And he says, and this, he's praying to his father, this is eternal life. And he defines it. That they, he's thinking of the disciples and those who will come to believe through their message, which ultimately includes all of us, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The Apostle Paul's aim is summarized in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him. Paul, why are you here? What's your purpose? What are you doing? That I may know him. Question, do you know God? Or do you just know a few facts about him? Do you know him, exper- do you know him like personally, intimately? In Romans chapter 1, 18 to 32, we see a descent into depravity that we can trace in our culture today. But here's where it starts. When people refuse to know God as creator, in fact, Warren Wiersbe says this slippery slope of sin goes from ignorance of God to idolatry to immorality to indecency. The Lord saved me by his grace for his glory when I was at the University of Wisconsin at Madison when I was 19 years old, and I was led to Christ by a college roommate who was a deep guy who read a lot of deep books. One of the first Christian books I read as a new believer was Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Now, if, if you want to get off just skimming on the surface, read some Packer. So as a new believer, I'm reading. I didn't even know better. And hey, what should I read, Bruce? Here, read this. I still get goosebumps when I consider those first opening chapters in that book. Uh, well, join me as I, I read some of this. Packer says, what were we made for? What aim should we set ourselves in life? What is the best thing in life bringing more joy and delight and contentment than anything else? The answer to all these questions is the same, knowing God. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? (laughs) Then go, you can tell he's been reading Spurgeon too. Then go, 
plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea, be lost in his immensity, and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. Once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, this is quite a sentence, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Mm. So after praying to get to know God better, verse 18 provides this encouragement. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope. Some of you don't have much hope tonight. That you may know the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That word enlightened means to see, to illuminate, to have the light turned on. I think of Luke 24, 45. Jesus is walking with two disciples. They're on the way to Emmaus. They're bummed out. They think it's all over. Jesus was killed. They're, they're like discouraged. They've lost their hope. While Jesus is walking with them, we read these words. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. In the Bible, the word heart not only refers to emotions, it refers to the inner person. It's the real you. So when we pray, we should ask God to turn the light on so we can understand at least two things. Number one, God, would you restore my hope? God loves to restore hope when we're hopeless. The word hope in the Bible doesn't mean I hope so. No, it means I know so. For many, hope has a question mark attached to it. In the Bible, there's an exclamation mark attached to hope. It's absolute certainty. So our ultimate hope is laid up in heaven, and it is a, well, it's a certain hope because it is God who has called us. Our hope is tied to our calling. Romans 8, 29, it was so that we'd be conformed to the image of his son. Now, you're going to be really glad you made your way out in the snow tonight. And if you're engaging at home or somewhere else, we're so glad you're here. Most of us don't think this thought right here. God longs for us to understand that we are his inheritance. You're like, what? Well, look at the text. It's an easily overlooked phrase at first glance because it appears to repeat the truth found in verse 11 and verse 13, which speaks of our glorious inheritance in heaven. Intrigued? Okay, now look more closely. This verse insists that we are God's inheritance. Kent Hughes writes, think of it. He owns all the heavens, but we are his treasures. The redeemed are worth more than the universe. We ought to be delirious with this truth. Now, this is first alluded to in Deuteronomy 32.9, which reads, but the Lord's portion is his people. Psalm 33.12 proclaims, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his inheritance. Some of you don't believe that, but you need to know, God, if you're a born-again believer, God treasures you because you are his treasure. The church is his prized possession. 
And Paul wants us to get a glimpse of our glorious future, so we'll live in light of that right now. Some of you are still not convinced. Okay, let's go to Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst. He's writing this, by the way, to a people who've sinned, who've been all up in idolatry. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Do you know when God thinks about you, he breaks out into song? You're like, no way. Most of us think, I mean, we're just all up. We know we fall short. Some of us are just swimming in shame and we're gutted by guilt and and we just think, God, we, I mean, we're, we're like, what? God breaks out into song when he thinks about me? You are of significant value to him. You matter to him. And he looks forward to being with you for all eternity. Okay, you're still not convinced. All right, so let me take another run at it. Just as a groom eagerly awaits his bride, so Jesus longs to welcome his bride, his church as his own. We see this poignantly. (laughs) Check this, Revelation 21.7. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride. Who's the bride? The church. Born again believers. The bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Okay, let me go to one more. (laughs) Revelation 21, verse 9. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. (laughs) So God wants us to pray so we'll grow to know him better. And in the process, we'll know our hope and we'll know that we are his inheritance. Notice next, number two, that we might understand the might of God. The next part of Paul's prayer in verse 19 focuses on believers locking into the greatness of God's power at work in their lives. Check this, and what is the, you just see Paul just layering words upon words here. Verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? And then he's like, uh, according to the working of his great might. And so the adjectives and synonyms used in, did I say cinnamon? (laughs) Did I, Dan? I think I did, didn't I? Okay, synonyms used in these verses are pregnant with meaning. So the immeasurable greatness of his power, immeasurable means exceeding, surpassing, over and above. You can't even measure. It's like the snow, right? (laughs) Okay, I'm trying to relate to our world today. Okay, work with me. And greatness is the Greek word megas, mega. God's power is mega great. It's more than we'll ever need. That word power in the Greek is the word dunamis, which we get from which we get dynamite or dynamo. 
Oh, note this power is only for those who believe. And Paul picks up on this idea, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who's able to do far more, what? Abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. The working of his great might. The word working is the word energia, which we get energy. Refers to the Lord's work within us. The word might can be defined as ability, force, and strength. So Paul's circling back to all of this. He does it in Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Martin Lloyd-Jones points out the logical flow here. He first speaks of energy, a power in action, and then says that it comes from a force which is irresistible, which in turn comes from the ocean of God's might, the eternity of God's unlimited power. Why wouldn't we pray, church? In illustration of that power, Watch this, is in verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Ooh, that's power. Well, there's more. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Alan Carr writes, the same power that invaded the tomb of Jesus, raised him from the dead, carried him home to heaven, is the power that is at work in our lives. You know, the mightiest power ever unleashed on earth was not the atomic bomb. It's not earthquakes. It's not volcanoes. It's not tornadoes. It's not snowmageddon. (laughs) No, the mightiest power was unleashed when Jesus was raised from the dead and when he ascended into heaven where he is now exalted. I'm tempted to go ahead, but I won't because we'll be there soon, Ephesians 2, 6, and raised us up with him. We've been raised up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God wants us to pray so we'll grow to know him better. Number three, that we might understand the majesty of Christ. His third request is for believers to comprehend the person of Christ. In verse 21, we see Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus is not only above, would you note, he is far above. Jesus said it like this, John 3.31, he who comes from above is above all. That phrase rule and authority and power and dominion may refer to different gradations of rank in the spiritual world, like angelic beings, evil spirits, like both the loyal ones and the lethal ones. It shows the cosmic scope of redemption. Romans 8, 38 and 39, there's nothing and no one who can separate us from the love of Christ, neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers. Ephesians 6, 12 reminds us we're in a spiritual battle. You know that, don't you? That battle's been won by Jesus. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
Illustration of that, Acts chapter 19, the believers in Ephesus, that's a culture filled with idol worship, with magic, with Satanism, and the occult. When the people in Ephesus got saved, you know what they did? They took their books of magic, they threw them all in a fire. Why? Because they knew they now had a new master, a new Lord, who is seated far above all spiritual powers. Jesus is above every name that is named. In that culture, that means Jesus was above Caesar. Well, let me apply it to us. Jesus is above former President Trump. Jesus is above President Biden. Jesus is above the Supreme Court, and let me apply it to the younger generation, he's even above Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. <laughs> As Christ himself said in Matthew 28, 18, before giving the Great Commission, all authority, all has been given to me. Where? In heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. The first part of verse 22, we see Jesus rules over everything and he put all things under his feet. That's a fulfillment of Psalm 110, verse 1, until I make thee your enemies your footstool. Jesus is also head of the church, as we see in the last part of verse 22 and verse 23, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. So don't think physical buildings, don't think of the physical building in Orion. Right? Think of believers. Don't think of this building. No, we think of redeemed believers who make up the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The order in Greek is very emphatic. Him he gave as head over all things to the church. One paraphrase says it like this, at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is at the center of God's plan for the world. We'll see that throughout the book of Ephesians. And we've said this before, the church is God's plan A and there is no plan B. And Edgewood does not belong to any pastor, any leader. We bow to Jesus, who is both Savior and Sovereign. He is our head, and we are his body. He fills us so we will live on mission in our messed up world, pointing people to him. Friends, I hope we're getting this tonight. God wants us to pray. Why? So we'll grow to know him better. I've read that early African converts were so devout in their personal prayers that each believer had a separate spot in the thicket where he or she would go and pray. Well, over time, the paths to those places of prayer became well-known. And as a result, if one of them began to to neglect prayer, it was soon apparent to the others, and they would kindly remind the strange saint, Brother or sister, the grass grows on your path. Is there grass growing on your path? Yeah, ouch is right. Well, we try at Edgewood to 
preach God's word straight up without apology. We also try to apply it to our world. So let me suggest 10 prayer pointers, and some of these may resonate with you to help you take your next step in prayer. Number one, pray the prayers in the Bible out loud. So you're like, I don't know what to pray. Open up your Bible. There are 150 prayers in the book of Psalms. There's 150 Psalms. Pray them out loud. How about the Lord's Prayer? Paul's Prayer. There's Paul's Prayer here. There's another prayer in in Ephesians chapter 3. There's a prayer in Colossians chapter 1. Pray them out loud. There's 650 prayers in the Bible. Secondly, write out your prayers in a journal. Number three. You could use published prayers. Beth and I right now are just going through this book called The Valley of Vision. Uh, They are prayers. They're like a page and a half long. Uh, This is a collection of prayers. It has a Puritan slant, but the the prayers are so powerful. We're striving to do that every night. Uh, If you're looking for a very short book to read on prayer, here it is, and it's entitled prayer. (laughs) This book is available at our resource center, which is closed tonight, but you can uh, pick one up there. Um, Number five, uh, here at Edgewood, plans are just being put together. We're going to have a concert of prayer on a Sunday night and call all of us to pray Sunday, February 18th. There's a prayer meeting being held in the Quad Cities uh, next Sunday night at six o'clock. That'll be held at Calvary Church in Moline. Uh, How about this? Number seven, we all are around people who are like, man, would you pray for me? Or I got this thing coming up. How about this? Pray right on the spot, wherever you are with that person. And just keep it short. Another thing you could do is call and leave a prayer on voicemail for someone. I have a friend who's been leaving me voicemail prayers every Friday for over 20 years. His name is Mike. Number nine, continue to pray that God will provide our next administrative pastor, our next director of children's ministry. Sheila in the back there is nodding her head. Yes, please pray for that. And then finally, use this prayer from Ephesians 1 as a pattern for how to pray for yourself, to pray for our church, to pray for our missionaries, pray for our family members and friends. In fact, I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to use this passage as our guide. What I did this week is I just took Ephesians chapter 1, 15 to 23, and typed it out into a prayer. And there's copies of this out at the Welcome Center and over there. And, And you'll recognize it. It comes right from this passage and encourage you to pick up some copies if you're like, hey, I I want to learn to pray better. So let's pray now. O Father of glory, ever since I heard how believers are growing in faith and love, I'm filled with thankfulness and I'm moved to this time of intercession. May you give them wisdom and insight which leads to a deeper and more personal knowledge of you. Would you enlighten the eyes of their heart and restore the hope of your calling in the middle of whatever's going on in their life? Impress upon them the truth that you treasure them as your glorious inheritance. And may you unleash the immeasurable greatness of your power toward them as they seek to know you better. 
May they experience that same resurrection and ascension power over sin and the struggles in their life. May they see you, Lord Jesus, seated in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only now, but in the age to come. Remind them that you've put all things under your feet and that you are the heart and head of your church. Oh God, may we realize that in Christ we already have everything we need. May we press into Christ today in deeper and deeper ways that we might experience the fullness of your spirit leading us in every facet of our lives as we live on mission to our neighbors and to the nations, all for your glory and the fame of your holy name and the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So that's a simple guide. You could insert names into that. The wealthy newspaper publisher William Randolph Hearst spent a fortune collecting art treasures from around the world. And one day he found a description of some very valuable items that he had to own. And so he sent his agent abroad, sent them across the ocean to search for that valuable treasure. Well, after months of searching, the agent reported that he had finally found the treasures. Do you know where he discovered them? They were already in Mr. Hurst's warehouse. Hurst had been searching for treasure he already owned. If you're a Christian, God's mighty power is already yours. But perhaps, like him, you've not been aware of what you possess. What a joy for us as a church to partner with missionaries strategically positioned around the globe. And tonight, it's our joy to hear from a couple, Dean and Sue Zemke. I'm going to ask you to come up uh, right now. And uh, thank you for joining us on this snowy night. Uh, we're glad that you made the trip. And when I, when I uh, told them, when I was checking with them about the weather, they're from Wisconsin as well. So they're like, the weather's not really an issue, Bill. I'm having trouble turning this one on. It might be me. It might be user error. It was user error. <laughs> All right, so... Dean and Sue, tell us a little bit about who you are, your ministry, and where you serve in Japan. Okay. Uh, my name is Dean, of course. This is my name. Why don't you hold that up right up there. There you okay. go. I'm Dean. This is my wife, Sue. And as Pastor mentioned, we are from Wisconsin. We serve in the city of Sapporo, Japan, on the same latitude as Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So we're quite familiar with this weather, but we get it for four to five months each year. So this is really nothing. Uh, it's on the island of Hokkaido. And we work with Pastor Ken Kayashita and his wife, Yu, uh, in a Japanese uh, missionary partnership like that. We've seen some much greater results than we did uh, working by ourselves. Hmm. So we're, it's still as a church plant. And uh, we've been able to combine our skill sets, us as Americans uh, being able to speak English and as Japanese. So we can do some of the evangelism and reach out to people that might not otherwise. Uh, 
reach out to maybe Japanese because they see us as different, obviously. And uh, then the Kayashtas have more of a obviously uh, native Japanese ability, and they're able to do more discipleship uh, more effectively. So it's really worked out well. I love that, the partnership part. We're yes. partnering with you, you're partnering with them, they understand the culture, you're learning the culture, you've been at it for like 30 years, but yes. they know it, right? right. They know it, yes. I love that, way to go. Yes. Yeah, and It works out well, so through track distribution, which I do a lot of that, uh, the people that come, they don't have to deal with my poor Japanese anymore, but they can deal with him as someone that knows them mm -hmm. and the language, and he can reach them far better than we ever can. We just have to get them to the church. Yep. Now, we support five different um, families in Japan, and we've learned over the years that it's hard in Japan. There yes. are not a lot of Christ followers, right? Um, but as you look back over this last term, tell us a story about somebody who you see God at work in, somebody who's accessing God's power and you're seeing some change in their lives. Uh, we went to uh, Sapporo Bible Baptist Church and there was already a lady coming there. Uh, they called her Old Midori because she's 86 and she's older than the other Midori. Um, and she wasn't saved, but she was inquisitive. And she had been going to church for about three or four years already. And um, she didn't have a lot of exposure to foreigners. And you never know what's going to work to bring people around. And I don't take a whole lot of credit for bringing this lady to make a profession in Christ. But she said to me at church one day, in Christianity, there's no national citizenship. And what brought that about is uh, we were the first Americans at the church. There had been a, at, at the time when she mentioned it, there was an American lady coming with her five kids that were half Japanese, half American, and there was a Canadian, I'm sorry, Canadian, yes, and a man from a closed country that was starting to come. So she's looking at this small group of about 20 mm. believers and she's seeing four nationalities, and nobody really cared. Christ was our common ground. Amen. And that somehow impacted her. It wasn't too many weeks after that that she finally accepted Christ as I her Savior. I love it, because she felt like she could be accepted. Yes. It's not just the white man's religion, right? It's right. not just Western religion. It's every tribe, every tongue is going to be worshiping. Yes. Oh, I love it. So, that yeah. probably meant the world to her. And yeah. And way to go cultivating that yes. in, in your church. Yes. Um, that it was, you I had that. to take her to Acts 17, 26, where it's, we're all related. There's only one race. Yep. And that seemed to have resonated with her. As you look back over this last term, uh, Sue, how about um, if you take this one? What, what's a lesson that God has taught you? I would say the word contentment works okay. a lot. Um, our last term... Um, unbeknownst to us, but known to God, that he switched us from working solo to working with this uh, Japanese couple. Um, we were about an hour and a half away, renting a beautiful house, and then we moved to Sapporo, which is the fifth largest city in Japan, which means expensive. And so we had to move from this rental house to a place less than half the size. And God had to work in through both of us to say stuff is stuff. And we sold, well, we didn't sell a lot. We gave away, we had to throw out some stuff. 
but all the stuff we decided to bring that would fit in, fit. <laughs> with, I mean, we didn't even know that it would fit. But it all fit. We, we were pretty much perfect in deciding that. And also just working with a new group of people and sure. not being the solo leaders and yeah. working alongside. So yeah, because there's things. some give and take there. That's, That's right. Adjustment. Definitely. Oh, yeah. For, for sure. And for the Kayashtas. I'm sure, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so contentment was a huge lesson. Yes. yes. Yeah. So. Excellent. Uh, what are some things we can be praying about for you guys personally and for your ministry? Um, strength. We're not young anymore. Um, doing evangelism in the winter isn't easy. Uh, it's not always easy in the summer either. Asika was a flat city. We're now in Sapoto on the south side where it's very hilly. And so... There can be 20 steps to get to a house to put a tract in the mailbox. And, you know, you try that to 20 or 30 or 50 houses, and you know what a workout is. So just strength for that. Sure. And uh, zeal, because it's not always easy to get up in the morning and say, I'm going to go do that. Especially when you don't see a lot of response. When you don't see a lot of response, yeah. yes. Um, and um, safety. Most roads don't have a sidewalk. Um, so you're dealing with traffic. And, of course, in the wintertime, you're dealing with the snow and whatnot. Uh, th those are our big issues for us. And we want to see fruit for our ministry. Mm -hmm. Who doesn't? Right. And there's a particular need for young people to become Christians in Japan. I read that one-third of the churches in Japan don't have any young people coming. Mm. And no families. Mm. And so there's no future for those churches until they can get those people in. Of course, young people attract what kind of people? Young, young people. people. Yeah. So how do you get the first people in? Uh, so we rejoice that at uh, the church in Sapporo, right now we have got three young people, singles, plus a man coming with his three-year-old son. Uh, those, uh, the man and his son aren't saved, but they're there, and that's okay. what counts. We love your heart for, mm -hmm. for Christ, your heart to know God better and to make him known to those in Japan. Church, let's pray together now uh, for them. God, you've heard their requests, and Lord, ultimately, they, they want to be faithful and diligent, and Lord, they're asking for physical strength and stamina. We pray that you would grant that to them. Lord, that you'd help their zeal to not waver, uh, that they would continue to spread your word through this literature ministry. Lord, we pray also that for the church in Japan that you would reproduce it, that believers would live on mission, that would reach out to the next generation. Thank you for those that you're already enfolding uh, into that church. And so, Lord, now we pray for both of them that you would unleash the immeasurable greatness of your power uh, toward Dean and Sue as they seek to know you better. May they experience that resurrection and ascension power over the struggles in their life. And they, may they see you, Jesus, seated in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named in Japan. Uh, Lord, may they all bow before you. Lord, would you remind them that you've put all things under your feet and that you are the heart and head of your church, your church global. May they realize that in Christ, you've already given them everything they need. And may they press into you today in deeper and deeper ways that they might experience the fullness of your spirit. 
Would you lead them in every facet of their lives as they live on mission among their neighbors and to the nations, all for your glory and the fame of your holy name. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Hey, thanks so much, you guys. Let's give them a hand. Yeah, yep. You can, you can go back to the table there and visit with them and pick up some more information. So yeah, We just want to say while we're up here, thank you for the past about 30 years of support. Without your finances, without your prayers, we couldn't be where God has called us to serve. So we want to say thank you. You're welcome. It's a delight to partner with you. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good rest of the night.